Section 22 of By the Marshes of Minas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Marie Christian. By the Marshes of Minas by Sir Charles G. D. Roberts. The Maid of the Drift, Part 2. I have heard of this La Garnet, the Black Abbe, as you call him. I am very curious to meet him, mademoiselle, said I. He is certainly a great scoundrel, and I think I see my opportunity to do this land a service, to say nothing of serving myself to a speedy promotion. You are conceited as well as stupid, monsieur, she retorted severely. Let me tell you, you will win no credit off Father Legarnet. I will but do my duty and obey my orders in trying, said I more humbly. He has a half-score of savages at his back, she went on. Indians, I cried with some scorn in my voice. Ten of them? That's about two and a half white men. It is but odds enough to make the matter interesting. I pray you direct me to the place, mademoiselle, for I am hungry and may have to fight for my dinner as it seems. But she held my arm persuasively, and I could but await her pleasure. Think of others, monsieur, she pleaded, if you won't think of yourself or of the papers in your charge. You will compromise monsieur de la Marie, and bring I know not what swift ruin upon his house. De la Marie is a brave man, if report speaks true, said I obstinately. We will stand together, he and I. But have no fear for him, mademoiselle. He has all the power of England behind him. Little may that avail him, alas! She exclaimed bitterly, hopeless, as it seemed, of persuading me. You forget Dartmouth, monsieur. I had forgotten Dartmouth. I remembered now with horror that red outrage which our soldiers in Halifax, just across the harbor, had been powerless to prevent. But that was before our eyes were open, mademoiselle. I persisted. Yours are so wide open now, she muttered scornfully. But come, if you must, monsieur. At least I will lead you by the safer way, that you may have some ghost of a chance of coming at Monsieur de la Marie before your doom overtakes you. Turning aside from the main road, she led me quickly along a narrow trail. From a glimpse of a barn and outhouses caught through the drift, I gathered that we were skirting the rear of the village. We struggled on in silence, the gale now squarely in our teeth, and I felt that she was displeased with me. It was clear to me, however, that I could not in decency be thwarted by a rascal abbé or affrighted by a handful of redskins. Much more did her displeasure affright me, and even that I brought myself to endure for the moment. Presently we came to a small cottage whose bright red door confronted us abruptly through the drift. Here Mademoiselle stopped and turned to me with her hand upon the latch. "'But surely,' I exclaimed, so modest a dwelling is not the home of the chief man in Grand Pre. This is not Monsieur de Lamaret's house, she answered with something of agitation in her voice which I could not understand. But here lives one of his most faithful friends and servants, old Mother Pesh. I beg you to come inside and wait a few moments while I make a little reconnaissance. Herewith she laughed, but in a manner that seemed to me unnatural. Seeing me hesitate, loath to delay, yet loath to refuse her, she burst out passionately. 
I love the house of de la Marie, monsieur. Mademoiselle Yvonne de la Marie, I love better than anyone else in the world. I will not have ruin brought upon them by your obstinacy when it may so easily be avoided. I have served you faithfully in guiding you so far and keeping you from running your neck into the noose. You cannot, for shame's sake, deny me this little that I ask now. Come in and wait here. I will find out where the sentinels are posted, and then, if necessary, lead you myself safely into Monsieur de la Marie's presence. What could I do but yield? Not to shun the black abbe, mademoiselle, I answered, but to obey your wishes and to gain the pleasure of your further guidance, I will wait. But my orders are stringent. They forbid me to wait long. A soldier has small freedom to choose between desire and duty. You know that and will forgive me if I seem uncompliant, will you not? She flashed upon me a wide-eyed glory of thanks for reward and murmured as she threw open the red door. You are not quite so unkind and wrong-headed as I began to fear. I should have hated you forever if you had refused. It is well for thee, Peter Cunliffe, said I to myself, following her into a little low-sealed warm room, that thou hast wit enough not to refuse. The room was inviting to a cold and hungry man. Its walls of dark wood, polished in spots by the rubbing of many shoulders, reflected pleasant gleams from the fire on the roomy hearth. The ceiling was of the same time-stained wood. On the floor were plaited mats of divers coloring. Against one wall stood a dresser, its shelves bright with blue, yellow, and brown crockery. Through the two windows, small and dull, the whirling of the storm was glimpsed in a far-off comfortable fashion. On a clumsy crane swung over the hottest of the fire was hanging a covered pot whence came unctuous bubblings and a most appetizing savor. I flung off my cloak and drew up a chair into the close neighborhood of that aroma. I had not realized that I was so hungry. Mademoiselle had disappeared right promptly upon our entrance. For some minutes I was alone. Then a bent and gaunt old woman appeared briskly from the back room, curtsied to me a very amiable welcome, and set a ruddy steak of moose meat to broil right before my interested nose. "'It is a bit for you, monsieur,' she exclaimed with a confidential air. "'To rest you while she's gone. A bit and a sup won't be amiss now to a man who's footed it all the way from Old Massons.' I thanked her with a hearty agreement, and I considered how a man may be ill-fitted for emergencies when he carries an empty stomach. It was with an easy mind as to my duty then that I watched the old dame at her cooking. Surely, I thought, she would pass for a witch in New England. A dark red shawl folded over her shoulders made a glow of color with the sallow dark of her skin, and her high-boned cheeks, astonishingly lean, appeared to me like grim abutments to the lofty arch of her nose. But her eyes most took me, the pupils, very small, black, piercing like knife points, were set in so large and clear an expanse of white that whensoever they turned glittering upon me I felt a curious thrill. There was something unholy about those eyes at first acquaintance, but the old dame was plainly well disposed, and it was not many minutes ere even those startling eyes ceased to trouble me, so pleasant was the smell of the sputtering steak. And then, the relish of it, the memory lingers yet upon my palate. 
Whilst I was eating it, she brewed me a hot and well-spiced brandy toddy, which I honestly swore to her, as the most fitting form of thanks, was the best drink that ever crossed my lips. Almost upon the instant I felt sleepy, which was not unnatural, but highly inconvenient. "'You have made me quite too much at ease, mother,' I exclaimed. "'I am in danger of forgetting my immediate duty. I must get a breath of air to wake me up.' I stooped for my cloak and would have made for the door, but the old dom's voice came so sweetly persuasive that somehow I found myself back in my chair, nodding at the fire in amicable content. "'Bide still yet here a little, monsieur,' she murmured. "'It is but a bit to wait, and Maid Lise will be back.' The word seemed some sort of a pleasant, crooning charm, and my lids drooped. With a violent effort I raised them and sat up in my chair. I caught the old dom's eyes glittering at me shrewdly, but not, as I thought, in malice. Then I heard a heavy breathing somewhere, doubtless my own, and I knew no more. With a sense that I had overslept, I started awake and sat up in bewilderment. But I could see nothing. I was in total darkness. In my arms and wrists I felt a most unpleasant constriction, and presently I realized that my hands were securely bound. Then a swelling bitterness surged over me, the rage of trust betrayed, and a pang of disappointment that pierced my very soul. How I had trusted her, and for this! There was a swooning sensation in my head, so I lay back again to gather my wits. I felt that I was softly couched on thick furs, by the fresh earthy smell with a scent of roots and apples and butter subtly blended, I decided that I was in a cellar. Then a trap door somewhere out of my range of vision opened and let down light enough for me to observe that in truth I was in a cellar. I sat up and turned to Mark who came. Mademoiselle it was. With a lighted candle in her hand she came down the steps. The trap closed, and I heard the bolt slide to behind her. She approached smiling gaily, her eyes of an unearthly beauty in the flaring light. But I faced her with a bitter indignation in my frown. "'I trust you have slept well, monsieur,' she exclaimed very gaily and innocently. I sprang up, but sank back at once, being still dizzy from the drug which that old wide-eyed witch had put into my cup. Nevertheless, looking upon the girl's face, I felt my righteous anger fading out in spite of myself. "'You are a traitor,' I said. But alas, I spoke it tamely, in sorrow, not in just wrath. Her face grew sober. She stood there in front of me, scanning me for some moments in silence. "'I have saved you from yourself, monsieur. I am no traitor to you,' she said at length in a low voice. I looked down at my fettered hands. "'Free me, then,' said I. "'Yes, if you will give me your word, not to be rash, but to let me get you out of the deadly peril which you have blindly run into,' she answered. "'It seems I have much reason to trust you, mademoiselle,' I retorted bitterly. "'What you mean for derision is but the bare truth, monsieur,' said she. Oh, you are very blind in your English self-sufficiency. Did you not say to me out there on the hillside that you would trust your life and your honor in my hands? I have taken you at your word. 
Left to yourself, you had flung both away for nothing by this time yesterday. Your body would have been among the ice cakes of the Gasparo, your papers in the hands of the Black Abbey, your honor wheresoever it might chance to be scattered. And the house of de la Marie would have been whelmed in your ruin. You would not hear reason. You thought to do impossibilities single-handed. So I got Mother Pesh, who knows herbs and simples, to put you to sleep. A trustworthy neighbor, Nicole Brun the smith, helped us carry you down here, and a task it was. We feared the Black Abbey or his followers might chance in, which indeed has twice happened. But here is something that may concern you more than that. She handed me a paper, which I made shift to read by the dim light. This is to attest that I have duly received from Mr. Sergeant Cunliffe the papers which he was commissioned to deliver to me. Giles de la Marie At Grand Pre, 29th January, A.D. 1755 I looked at her with stupid inquiry. I delivered it into his own hands, said she. He read it and burned it and gave this as your quittance. My heart leaped with joy. I began to see. She was, after all, true. Slowly I came to understand the whole situation and to feel convinced of my own gross folly. I held out my hands to her. Free me, said I a second time, and I added humbly, I will follow your guidance in this matter. The cords fell apart. Instantly I felt in my breast for the other packet. It was gone. I sprang up very white and trembling. She laughed softly at my scare. Sit down, monsieur, it is safe, she said. Had your enemies found you here, your life would have gone out, poof, but your honor would have been saved. I should have got your papers into the governor's hands for you. Here they are. And pulling off the end of what seemed a solid log of the underpining, she took the packet out of its cunning concealment. Eagerly I stretched out my hand, but she slipped the packet back into the hiding place. No, she said with decision. You cannot tell what may happen any moment when you have the Black Abbey to deal with. You know now where to find it. Leave it there till you are ready to go. And when will that be, mademoiselle? I inquired very submissively. My new tractability won her favor, and she looked upon me with eyes of some approval. Nicole Brun shall guide you, she answered. So you will not have to touch the beaten trail. He is a woodsman to match the savages in their own craft. He will get you safely to Halifax once you are out of Grand Pre. And you can leave tonight when dark falls, for there is nothing now to keep you at Grand Pre. By heaven, but there is, mademoiselle. I blurted out, making to grasp her hand. She drew back and looked at me curiously, though not, as it seemed, in anger. I mean, not to keep me, but to bring me back in haste. I stammered, abashed at my own presumption. She was silent. I mean, said I, desperately making another trial. I mean, I beseech you, let me come back to Grand Pre when this business is done. Let me come back and strive to win a better place in your regard. I have been such a dull-witted animal. And you, mademoiselle, you have been... But she interrupted me. Let me see, said she, coolly meditating. 
but with her eyes, as I could not but notice, discreetly cast down. Let me see, monsieur. I am not unwilling to think better of you than you have so far given occasion. A month hence the Black Abbe will be far away, at Louisbourg. You may come to Grand Pre then, if you wish. And your safety then will not lie upon my poor shoulders. Yes, I think you may come. I love the English, if they are stupid. It is not necessary or desirable that you should love them all, mademoiselle, said I, plucking up great courage. But it has come to be a matter of the deepest import in life to me that you should learn to love one of them. I think it of the deepest import to you, monsieur, that I should fetch your dinner without delay. Men talk nonsense when their brains grow faint from fasting. She retorted hurriedly and vanished up the cellar stairs. End of section 22 The Maid of the Drift, part 2